Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. This is episode 39. For this week's episode, I will be discussing the murder of Curtisha Morning. My sources for this week's episode are Snapped, Season 12, Episode 2, newyork.cbslocal.com, newsday.com, the New York Times, patch.com, longisland.news12.com, riverheadlocal.com, and riverheadnewsreview.timesreview.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in the show notes. My case today takes place in Riverhead, Long Island, New York, about an hour from Manhattan. Cartesia Morning was a popular student at Riverhead High School. She was well-liked and was chosen for homecoming queen. She was also a top student and was on her way to becoming a nurse. On top of attending her daily classes, she was also attending Boises, a vocational school that was right next to Riverhead High. On February 29, 1996, Cartesia was asked to attend and speak at an orientation day at Boises. It, it ended around 10 a.m., and Cartesia walked the short distance back to school. However, she never arrived. By March 1st, Cartesia's mom, Viola, reported her daughter missing around 1 a.m. Cartesia never came home from school, which was unlike her. The police first believed Cartesia could have been a runaway. However, she had no history of that. It didn't take long for the case to turn into a missing persons case. Cartesia's backpack and nursing clothes were found in the field between Riverhead High and Boises. A woman had been walking in the area and found them. The search for Cartesia intensified. Missing persons posters were put up and the police searched the area where she was last seen. Nothing was found. There were also several rumors that Cartesia had just run off with a boy. People claimed to have seen Cartesia throughout Suffolk County, but the police followed up on every single lead. It led them nowhere. Several weeks passed without any information, but on March 25th, a babysitter had brought two kids to the track behind the high school. She noticed a leather jacket hidden in the leaves. She tried picking it up and realized it was a body. She called 911. It was the body of Cartesia Morning, and she had been stabbed 96 times. One of her earrings was found nearby, as well as a silver necklace. The police were shocked that Cartesia's body was found. It is in the same area that the police had searched almost a month earlier. This led to rumors that Cartesia had been abducted, killed, and placed in that area. It's not a crazy theory, but it didn't make sense when the police discovered what really happened. After Cartesia's body was found, three witnesses told the police that they had seen Cartesia fighting with a woman that looked like Kalila Taylor. Kalila and Cartesia had known each other their whole lives. Their families were good friends. Their mothers had gone to high school together and remained friends after. Kalila was a year older and had already graduated the year before. Kalila was also described as a pretty girl, but was known for being confrontational and sometimes violent. Kalila had trouble in school and had also attended Boises to earn a nursing degree. However, she had gotten pregnant in the summer of 1993 and didn't go to college after graduating. She worked various fast food jobs and looked after her son. Always kept her son dressed really nice, you know. Always kept him fit. And by December of 1995, 18-year-old Kalila had managed to save up enough money to move out of her mother's house. Kalila had moved out of her parents' home for a little bit, but after her boyfriend Carl Brown broke up with her, she couldn't afford her apartment anymore. Carl then started dating none other than Cartesia Morning. Kalila later said she was fine with it, but many people said otherwise. The police focused hard on Kalila. They knew that Cartesia's murder was a personal attack. It was the brutality of her wounds that killed her. Rumors spread that Kalila killed Cartesia because of her relationship with Carl. Kalila's mom denied this, which she maintains her daughter's innocence. 
The police looked into Kalila's background and discovered her violent history. She had been on probation at the time for another stabbing. Kalila's mom claimed it was self-defense. The police then interviewed Carl and discovered that Kalila had stabbed him after he broke up with her. He didn't think it was a big deal, so he never reported it. On April 4th, Kalila was brought in for questioning. They picked her up from her job at Wendy's. She waived her rights and denied killing Kertisha. She told the police that she and Kertisha were friends and that she didn't care about her relationship with Carl. She even told them that the year before, she did Kertisha's hair for the homecoming dance. Kalila said that she was on her way to work during the time of the murder. However, when the police spoke to her co-workers, they discovered she wasn't scheduled until 12 p.m. that day. The murder happened between 10 and 10.30 a.m., so Kalila could have had time to kill Kertisha, clean up, and get to work. During the interview, the police did notice that Kalila had several injuries on her hands. They looked like they were weeks old and were in the process of healing. They focused on one injury in particular that would have happened if the knife slipped in her hands. The police took pictures of her injuries, took a sample of her blood, and released her. There was no physical evidence connecting her to the crime. While the police continued their investigation, they realized that the necklace found at the crime scene wasn't Kartisha's, but Kalila's. She had been wearing it in the police photographs from an assault in October 1995. The police took it to Guy Spalding, a jeweler, and he believed that the necklace from the crime scene and Kalila's pictures were the same. Kalila and Kartisha's families ended their friendship and had many verbal incidents. On June 9, 1997, Kalila was arrested for murder. The DNA results had come back. Some of the blood on Kartisha's clothing was the same type as Kalila's. Her actual DNA had been a match. It was found on Kartisha's pants and boot. On August 25, 1999, Kalila's trial started. She was now 22 years old and charged with second-degree murder. The prosecution said Kalila killed Kartisha because she was jealous. The three witnesses testified that the person they had seen fighting with Kartisha that day looked like Kalila. They were all teachers at the high school and they all pointed Kalila's picture out in the yearbook. The jeweler also testified about the necklace. Kalila's defense was that the police focused all their time on Kalila. They also suggested that Kartisha had been abducted and dumped in the area. They brought up the fact that several officers and dogs had searched the area and didn't find Kartisha's body. It turned out that those dogs weren't actually cadaver dogs. On September 28th, Kalila testified that the police had framed her. She said a month before Kartisha died, they had run into each other at the hospital. Kalila was being treated for an injury from another attack, and Kartisha was visiting her mom who was sick. Kalila said that she must have gotten blood on Kartisha then, and that she was wearing the same clothes on the day she went missing. No one believed her story, and Kalila was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. This is not the end of the story, though. In April 2004, the New York State of Appeals overturned Kalila's conviction. They determined that the judge had incorrectly instructed the jury to the DNA as direct evidence, not circumstantial evidence. In the five years since her first trial, Kalila's mental health was deteriorating. She wrote letters to many of the people that had been involved in the case, including the police. She made disturbing allegations and said she was pregnant and that a lizard was inside her. She also said that the police had a cloning machine and that Kartisha's clone was killed, not actually Kartisha. Kalila was sent to a state psychiatric hospital until June 11, 2012, when she went on trial again. The court offered Kalila a plea deal of 18 years, but she refused. Her family and lawyer pleaded for her to take it, but she didn't listen. Kalila was described as not being all the way there and appeared confused in court. The second trial was very similar to the first, and she was found guilty. 
Cartesia's mom said after the verdict that she just wanted justice for her daughter, but that, quote, there's a hole inside of me, end quote. Someone in Kalila's family yelled, quote, this is wrong, end quote, and her lawyer believes that she, that she should be confined to a state hospital. Kalila will be eligible for parole in 2022. I would have to agree. I believe Kalila should have been placed in a state hospital. She clearly has had behavioral issues in the past as well as violent tendencies. She should have been treated, but she also didn't start showing signs of mental illness until she was being tried. It's a tough situation to say if someone is faking mental illness because I never want to say that about anyone. Cartesia is the victim in this case, though. She was brutally killed over nothing. There has never been a real motive other than a love triangle. People kill their romantic rivals all the time, and maybe Kalila did kill Cartesia because she couldn't stand the thought of them together. Who knows? Kalila will probably never tell anyone the truth. My book recommendation for this week is Can't Go Back by Deborah Webb. Summary. Birmingham detectives Carrie Devlin and Luke Falco arrive at the scene of a double homicide to discover that nothing makes sense. A woman and her child are dead, and though the husband says he killed them, the evidence says otherwise. Why would a man confess to unspeakable murders he didn't commit? What starts as an open and shut case explodes into a web of new leads. Devlin and Falco get to work tracking down every single one, including the disturbing connection between the murders and Falco's dark past. Falco knows the incident from eight years ago will jeopardize the partnership he's built with Devlin, both on and off the job. If he could go back, he would. But what happened, happened, and there's a murder on the loose. Devlin and Falco must slog through the pain to get to the truth, and so far the only truth that they know is that is everyone is lying. Review. A mother and child have died in a house fire. The husband and father confesses, but did he really do it, and if not, why would he confess? Detectives Devlin and Falco now must dig through the couple's life and reveal what truly happened and what this man is hiding. They also have to sort through their feelings for each other. I give this book an 8 out of 10. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere blog pod. You can also find me on Patreon. I'll continue to find time to record and release some bonus episodes at $5 a month. Anything helps support me with this podcast. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash it's a crime o'clock somewhere blog pod. You can also now find me on Audible and Amazon Music. If you could leave me a review, I might start reading them on the show if I received any. I did get one, which I'll read right now. It says, I love this podcast. It's easy to listen to, and I like that it focuses on the story. And I appreciate that the host injects a little of her personality. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.